I'm the Reverend Blake Ruby, or just plain Blake Ruby. My show is the Church of the Soul's Evolution. And I just want to say welcome. Thank you for tuning in. It's a beautiful afternoon here in San Antonio. The sun has just gone down over there in the distance. It's not too cold, about, I think, 65, 70 degrees. And I've noticed that compared to last week and the week before that, the sun has been going down a little bit later. Isn't that amazing? You know, and our revolution around the sun and, and rotation on our axis that I can tell that spring is already coming. And I've heard a few birds around here, too, that are not the usual birds I've heard over the last couple of months, like cardinals. I even heard of red-winged blackbird, and they usually disappear for the wintertime, but they're back. What does that say? Even though the leaves just came off the trees, I think it won't be long before they bud again. You know, it's usually around mid-February here in southwest Texas. And I was just reading a book. And I'm always trying to improve myself, you know. There's a lot of people who are voracious readers, and, and they think that that is the key to professional development. And I agree, it is. But there are things that I've been trying differently over the years. I'm almost seven years old. I'll be seven years old this year. And I'm someone who is streamlined for doing things in a more effective way and kind of... Um, for getting all the uh, the fluff, if you will, let me rephrase that. For doing things in a more effective, productive way, that is what I am geared towards. You know, as I get older, I focus more on spiritual development because that is why we're all here on Earth is to develop ourselves spiritually and increase the lamp, the intensity of the lamp of our soul. And forgive me, please, if I. I like to change subjects quickly. You know, I branch off into different subjects. I'm a person who practices public speaking. I go to different clubs three times, um, usually three times or more a month. Once a week at one club, Tuesdays at 6.30. It's a club for women, public speaking Toastmasters. And then there's a club once a month where we go out to a winery, distillery, or brewery and and we say, cheers, but I don't drink. I don't drink alcohol. My wife does a little bit, not much, but I don't judge other people for drinking alcohol. They can if they want to. That's just not where I'm at. And then I have a club that meets twice a month, uh, the first and third Saturday at 9.30 in the morning Saturday. Try that, if you will, if you want to improve your professional development and, or you know, just engage in more professional development improve your public speaking skills, get up in the morning and go and sit in front of 10, 15 people and, and get up and talk in front of them. It's really good practice, you know. And reading, as far as reading is concerned, I don't read a lot of books. I did before in the past. Now, I'm more concerned with speed and um, productivity and not wasting any time because my job is working for the Army, what they call an operations specialist. And I read operations orders, and I correct them for correctness in format. I don't really touch the content, but I'm a very meticulous 
detailed person. You know, I'm like an English teacher who marks a, a term paper or an essay with red ink, you know, that kind of guy. My mother was very strict on me as far as speaking English. I never learned to speak like she did because I was born in Canada. But she spoke like that. And my dad, too, they're English. And I don't know why sometimes I'm not able to explain, well, that's an object, you know, and that's uh, an indirect object. And like, I can't really understand. I've tried. And I'm not really kind of inclined to keep on trying to figure out why certain things in English grammar are the way they are. But suffice it to say, I do know when some things are right and some things are wrong. In most cases, I'm about 98% good as far as grammar is concerned, and you'd be surprised at just how many people give me really bad products, you know. Yeah. Operations orders are kind of like term papers, if you will, and they have different paragraphs, the situation, the mission, the execution, the sustainment, command and signal. And I've been doing it for ever since 2006, you know, so I've got a lot of practice. I do it all the time. And I read my computer all the day, you know. Sometimes I'm slow. Other times I'm crazy busy. But when it comes to reading, now let me run this by you to see if it sounds logical. I like to read a book standing up. Because when you're standing, it's like if you're sitting at a desk. I've got a sit-stand workstation. I haven't sat down behind my computer now ever since 2017. And I like it because it gives me extra energy. Now, the only thing that I've concerned myself with before in the past is just my feet, you know. Now I use a carpet here on my patio. There's a carpet at work. I've tried the anti-fatigue mats, but they don't work for me because you kind of roll around. It's not good for the rotation of the knees, I figure. But you can do what you you want to do your own thing, you know, and figure out. A lot of people want to figure things out for themselves. This is my radio show, so I'm telling you what works for me, what doesn't work for me, and I've learned from other people, and you can listen to me, so that's cool, you know, if you want to. Anyway, reading standing up is a cool thing. You know, read, get a nice book. You don't have to spend two hours reading, maybe 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, and your eyes get to focus a lot better that way because you're standing up. You're on your two feet, you know. I say that sitting down a lot is not good for you. You've heard of that before, right? No offense. But you've heard that, right? So why not get up, stand on your feet? Me. I feel that extra energy. And you know what I've been doing ever since? I'll tell you the truth. Ever since I've started using a sit-down workstation and standing up all the time. I don't sit down. The only time I sit down is when I watch TV. And it has helped me with my energy. I, I feel so much energy that I've been actually doing sprints each day. Several spins, I'm talking about maybe 50 meters, 100 meters, lately 100 meters. Several spins, today six, actually six, the number six. Every day, just about. I take a day off here and there, but, and I'm 69 years old. And I like doing it, because why? Because it strengthens my heart, fits my breathing, my circulation. I'm trying to keep other the diseases out there at bay, you know, just like you are, so I can feel better, so I can, you know, avoid getting sick, you know, and getting those bad diseases, cancer, heart disease, whatever. 
And so far, so good. And I've got one kidney, too, by the way. You might have heard my previous shows. I donated one of my kidneys to my son back in 1995 when I was on active duty. And now he's doing well. He got a second kidney in 2014 from his best friend's mom in Ohio. And that was a gift of life. Me as a father, you know, that's something you kind of expect. They asked me, you know, if you're compatible with your son, you know, after you go through the blood test and tissue test, if you're compatible, would you be willing to donate one of your kidneys? Yes, of course. You know, a father does that. But the mother of his best friend in Ohio, that was a real gift of life. So he got that kidney in 2014, been 10 years. And I'm concerned because my son... 29 years old, he's such a beautiful, wonderful young man. He really is. For his age, he's, he's an old soul. You know, I feel he was sent to Earth to help me out. He really did. I wouldn't be here, standing here, talking to you right now if it wasn't for my son. Being sent from heaven, being born on Earth, and everything we went through, we were together for the first couple of years, you know, it was tough back then because he was on peritoneal dialysis, of course. Mm, well, let's see, three months, uh, right after he was born, we go back, I'm going back in time. Right after he was born, he had what they call a colostomy, where they cut the skin behind the kidneys to allow the urine to drain out into his diaper. It was a big, I'll tell you, it was an amazing thing seeing him. When I first walked into that hospital room, I'd come back from Turkey on was, you know, activity. Uh, stationed in Turkey, and I took a hop, military hop, all the way over to go to uh, what's that, Travis Air Force Base in California. My ex-wife picked me up. We went to the Children's Hospital in Stanford University. I walked into that room over there in the corner in the distance. I saw my son kind of squirming around on the bed. That is my son. Wow. Thank you, God. I never would believe, never would have believed that I would have a son. And there he is. That was just like a life-changing event. It was something I'm never going to forget, you know. Then it turned out that he had some problems, you know, that he would need dialysis and or transplantation later on. So it wasn't too long after that, after the philosophy that, not surprisingly, that the one of the kidneys became infected. And because you could actually stick your fingers in the skin, in the opening in the back, and, and look inside, and there, you know, in the back were the, in, the workings of the the inside body, if you know what I mean. And so he went to the doctor. They removed his kidneys. We were hoping that they would grow, you know. We were saying, grow kidneys, grow. Praying, God, please help fight his kidneys to grow, but they didn't grow. And then... Uh, they took the kidneys out, and they was on peritoneal dialysis from age three months to 10 months. So after it was determined that I was good to give him one of my kidneys, then he had to go through um, a fattening up kind of period where they wanted him to be a certain weight. So he had to have high-calorie formula, and, and he was on the dialysis machine during the nighttime. If you're familiar with peritoneal dialysis, it's not a pleasant thing to have to go to, especially not for a three-month-old baby, you know, until, until he was 10 months old. And there were alarms going off in the middle of the night for my ex-wife and me. It was a stressful time, but he also had to have this tube up his nose 
pumping this high-calorie formula into his body because he um, couldn't hold down some of the formula he was drinking by mouth because of you know, not having kidneys. So he would throw up a lot during the night until he had to clean up the throw up and he pulled the tube out and stuck it back down his nose and that hurt, of course, you know. And, and so that went on for several months. And then in March 1995, we both went to Stanford University of my insurance, thank God, thank you, God, paid for the transplantation. They took one of my kidneys out, put it into Bryce in his abdominal area. It's about the size of your fist. You fall up your fist, you know, right in the middle of his abdominal area down below. And I remember seeing him on the machines. I walked down, you know, they get up walking right away, you know, as you were still kind of giddy from the surgery and the medication. I had a catheter. And so I went down to where he was. There he was in all these machines. I still remember all the, the sounds and the bells and the whistles, so to speak, and the numbers. And there he was attached to these machines, and he was, like, fighting. You know, he's a fighter. He's a warrior, a little warrior. Back then, I was thinking, wow. You know, and he was shaking because of the pain. But his eyes were like, I'm going to make this, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to survive, you know, it's going to be okay, and I'm saying, yeah, it's going to be okay, Bryce, you know, and so he got a lot of love and responded to it, and uh, so my kidney lasted 19 years, which for, you know, a kidney donated by a family member is um, kind of like the lower end of the scale, you know, sometimes it can last longer, possibly even a lifetime, although it's rare. And then in 2014, it was determined that his kidney function was decreasing and it was getting to a dangerous level. So he needed another kidney. And so he was looking for one and his best friend's mom volunteered to give hers. And again, the insurance paid for it. And he had it done at the University of Michigan. And that was in 2014, July the 2nd. I was there by his bedside. So, my friends, please take good care of your kidneys. They're very special. There's nothing like a real kidney, you know. Think about all the things that do the research on your own. I mean, I can tell you, but you should know the kind of foods that you should eat or shouldn't eat. And, you know, that diabetes is a quite a disease here in the United States and around the world. Although, you know, you don't see too many people in other countries that are um, that have diabetes, not many, you know, compared to the United States and the world. So please take care of yourself. You should love yourself. You know, love is the key. You got to love yourself, forgive yourself. And changing subjects, I was reading a book before my radio show about a woman, a young woman who committed suicide. And her name was Angie Fenimore. F-E-N-I-M-O-R-E. And she wrote this book, Beyond the Darkness. If you want to see what happens, you really want to understand what it's like for someone who tries to commit suicide. She didn't succeed. She came back. But what she experienced is valuable knowledge for anybody to help deter suicide from happening anywhere in your life or around the United States. Because don't you know, a lot of people commit suicide. And where do they go? You learn that in the book. I'll tell you where they go. 
And I was reading that, as I mentioned before the show. I'm going to take a drink of water. They, once they do succeed in leaving their body, they pop out of their body, then they usually go to a place of darkness. I mean, darkness, my friends. Not like the typical Miriath experience, you know, where someone might go into a light, a light at the end of the tunnel, meaning deceased relatives, you know, a feeling of love and light and happiness and joy. It's quite the opposite, actually. You know, that's just the way it is. It's, you're not supposed to take your life. You're not supposed to throw in the towel. Life is supposed to be hard. That's how we learn. That's why we're here. We're here to learn, to develop spiritually, to evolve. But some people, and it's understandable. I mean, I've been there myself, not now, but many years ago without going into the details, I know what it's like. And I, I've had people in my life that have committed suicide. One guy at work put a gun to his head, pulled the trigger, and was still alive for a little while. And I used to walk down the hall next to him. We would pass each other. I would go into his office and talk with him. And all of a sudden, one day, he decided it was enough. And, and his is a perfect example of what I'm trying to say. People think that the pain that they're experiencing is overwhelming and it's too much. And maybe there might be some sexual immorality involved there, or maybe alcohol. Usually alcohol is involved in all the suicides. I don't have the numbers, the statistics, but I don't need to hear from other people. I know, because I've done a lot of research, that the majority of suicides involve some kind of either alcohol or drugs. Right? Agreed? Even if you don't agree with me, I'm telling you, from what I've learned from my research, what I have observed, alcohol is a big factor with suicides. I almost tried to take my own life way back when, after I joined the Army. I was away from home for the first time. It was around Christmas time. I took a bottle of aspirin, you know, which later on one of my platoon members said, Blake, if you really wanted to kill yourself, why don't you just jump in front of a train, you know? Well, so I should say I got sick. I didn't have to have my stomach pumped, but my command, they were sympathetic, you know, they they didn't kick me out of the army. It's all right. And here I am today. I learned from it. You know, I, they gave me a second chance. Because why? Because it's hard. You know, over there in Germany, a young man away from his home for the first time, Christmas time, missing homesick, drinking alcohol day after day, you know, in the holidays. You get up, what do you do? You grab a beer. Well, I woke up this morning and I grabbed myself a beer. You know, that's on by the doors. Yeah, that's kind of like it is for some people. Because alcohol helps them to slip into a fancy kind of world. You were saying with me, you know. Then you have music and it's kind of magical. But then you pay for it the next day. I used to have bad hangovers. I couldn't eat. And so everything taken into consideration is not good for you, you know, especially not drugs. People that shoot up drugs, heroin, crack cocaine, whatever, smoke marijuana. You know, I wouldn't judge people. I don't judge people for doing that kind of thing because I understand where they're at. Everyone should have free will. 
and the right to do what they want to do. But I've learned from my studies that drugs, including alcohol, are a curse. Let me tell you about this one movie called High Noon. No, it's called Hang Em High with Clint Eastwood. You ever seen that movie? Hang Em High by Clint, with Clint Eastwood. And just to give you a little brief synopsis of the movie, he uh, is hung by these guys who accuse him of doing something he didn't do. And this lawman shows up after they've left, and he's hanging from this tree with the rope around his neck, and he cuts down the rope, and he takes him to this town where they have a judge who, on a regular basis, has hangings of people, bad people who break the law. And Clint Eastwood actually had been a lawman before, and so he pleads his case, and they realize what he said was true, so they let him go. But then he becomes a deputy sheriff or marshal for the judge going out there to bring the bad guys in. So one of these guys, and you could check it out on the Internet, just before he gets hung, along with some other people, he speaks this piece, is allowed to speak to the crowd, which is there just like a, on a Sunday. You know, they go out and they drink alcohol and they watch the people get hung and die in front of them, you know. And... So this one guy, I forget his name, an actor, he says, you're now looking at the last few moments of the mortal body of so-and-so, whatever his name was, who took the bottle to his mouth and let that devil inside his body. He killed his wife, apparently, you know, by mistake. He got drunk and killed his wife by accident. Let me tell you, when you take a sip of that, Alcohol, you let the devil come into your lives. And you too will regret possibly what you might do. And beer is no better or wine is no better. And I've got nothing to lose telling you this. And take my advice. Don't drink alcohol. It will only ruin your life. And so he gives that little pitch. I can't remember word for word, but it's pretty cool what he says, you know. And then they put the bag over his head, and he gets home with everyone else, and that's it. He dies in the movie. Anyway, back to the suicides. So Angie Fenimore took her life. She finds herself in this dark area, and then she gets whisked away to this huge dark plane. It could be the dark side of the moon. I don't know. She said she was pulled as if by a giant magnet, and she found herself on this plane where, as far as the eye could see, there were people everywhere, just like her, with dirty robes on, walking around mumbling nonsensically. And she couldn't hear what they were saying, but she realized that that was the place where hope and love and light and joy and happiness didn't exist. That was like a purgatory, if you will. But then she was given a second chance. She said she saw beyond this veil. She was, they were kind of fenced in by this dark energy, dark matter kind of material that they couldn't get beyond, you know. So they were in like a holding area, if you will, in some huge dark plane. And she saw a light in the distance coming towards her. And 
all of a sudden she realized she was in the presence of God, the Creator. It might have been the Father God in heaven, or it might have been the Creator of the universe. I kind of think it was the Father God. She said that he was beautiful, this being of light with a big beard and a huge muscular chest and arms and a very kind but marked with authority kind of face and flowing in the wind and he looked at her and she said his words boomed out over her like with ferocious force and he said to her is this what you really want and she realized that time she was in the presence of the father god the creator if you will of earth and so she tried to defend herself. Well, my life is so hard. You think that's hard. If you take your life, don't you know that it's going to be worse than what you have right now here on Earth? Many times worse. You're going to be in a place where there is no second chance. There is no hope. There is no love. There is no light. And all because you threw in the towel, because you couldn't take it. There was resources out there that you could have used. You could have read the Bible, you could have prayed, you could have talked with people, you could have called a number. People understand they're going through the same things you are. All you got to do is just wait on it. Wait for one night, and in the morning, when the sun rises, there'll be joy and happiness, and you can start again fresh. Every day is the beginning of the first day of your life, the rest of your life, you know. But, she continued having this conversation with him, and it was amazing, some of the revelations that she learned. And she also felt that Jesus, the Savior, was there with her because apparently, since he had walked the earth before and experienced what it's like to be a human being, that he kind of took up her side and argued her. Not argued, but, you know, like a lawyer kind of um, at a court case was on her side and and supported her, and so she was allowed to return, and it was quite a revelation. So the bottom line is, my friends, you know somebody out there who's contemplating suicide, or you yourself might be contemplating suicide. It's something we need to stop, don't you think? Too many people are taking their own lives. When, I'll tell you something. If you take your own life, if someone else takes their own life, all that they've learned, whether they're maybe 10 years old or 20 years old or 50 years old, all the progress that you made, and yes, it can be described as progress here on Earth, you know, from the moment you're born until when you die, hopefully at a ripe old age as an adult, all that progress, all that spiritual development will be lost. So not only... Do you go to a place that's horrible where there's no light, no love, no hope? And hope is what kept me going all these years, my friend. I'll tell you the truth. Hope is the hope to grow, to be more of myself, be all I can be, just like the Army teaches us, be, to be all I can be, to be a better public speaker, to be not afraid of speaking and stepping on my tongue and making mistakes, you know? which I've done so many times that I can't tell you what the number of those times are. Having my own radio show has helped me because being able to talk for an hour nonstop is quite an amazing thing. 
you know, that's why um, if you don't have your own radio show with BBS Radio, you should ask about it. Get your own radio show because it's real. True, granted, you can't see the, the people out there that are listening, although they do have TV that's available, and I'm still thinking of upgrading the TV possibly in the future. But if you're passionate about a subject, whether it's the Bible or spirituality, you know, and you can afford it, I'm sure they would work with you as far as um, maybe a little small discount from the price, normal price, and I would recommend you do it because don't you know all this war and killing going on in the world nowadays, and it's been going on throughout the centuries? I'm going to take a drink of water. We need more people who are loving, kind, spiritually inclined, who seek spirituality, who want to evolve. And we need prayer warriors. Are you a prayer warrior, my friends? I am a prayer warrior. Let me tell you a story. A man named Lou Famoso. Isn't that a pretty cool name? Famoso, Lou Famoso. You might have heard me say this before if you listen to previous radio shows. He was a Vietnam veteran, Lou Famoso. Did a couple of tours over there with the Navy, you know. Came back in 1964. This was before the, the huge mobilization of forces over there, you know. And he bought himself a brand new Mustang. He's still in the Army. Oh, Navy, excuse me. And brand new 64 Mustang. Beautiful car. Love him. Don't you? I love old Mustangs. Going to a party on a Saturday night? Hey, going down a country road, you push that Mustang to about 100 miles an hour. And if you're not familiar with those old Mustangs, you know, they're very heavy in the front with the engine, you know, not much in the back. So there were some bumps in the road. So it started bouncing up and down, lost control, flipped end over end several times, came to rest on the side of the road, caught on fire. He was thrown from the Mustang. You know, that kind of thing happens, my friends. That's the truth. And, you know, someone just like you and me, you know, had a gaping head wound, you know, losing a lot of blood. He's dying, essentially. And... Some other friends of his on the way to the same party, women, actually, three of them, saw the wreckage, picked him up, took him to the hospital. He left his body, was looking down inside the vehicle as they held him in their laps, you know, trying to get him to stay alive, you know, talking to him. Hey, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Come on, stay with us. Don't die. Took him to this hospital. And he went through the tunnel, I think it was. Anyway, he wound up in heaven. It was a beautiful, beautiful place. You know, the scenery. I mean, colors are more intense than heaven. Beautiful colors everywhere. The grass is so green. It's unbelievable. The flowers, there's colors there that we don't even know here on Earth. There's flowers everywhere. And they look at you like they're alive, you know, like they have intelligences of their own. You step on them and they won't hurt them. You know, they'll just pop back up or you walk right through them. And then the trees, they're beautiful. It's like here on earth, but like remember the whole Polaroid pictures, you take a picture 
the negative would be like here on earth, but the, the color photo would be like in heaven. And there's rivers and valleys and lakes and oceans there in heaven too. Yeah, water exists in heaven. Yeah, my friends, and you can go inside the water. You can walk like in the bottom of the ocean and look up and say, oh, my God, I'm going to drown. Well, wait a second, you're already dead. Isn't that cool? You can see prisons, beautiful, colorful prisons in the water, and you can float in the water in the middle or up in the surface. And it's very beautiful. It's another reality. They say that this is all a manufactured reality. That is the reality, the real reality in heaven. On the sun over there, 93 million miles away, it's a world of light. Don't forget, you have the spirit in your body, and that spirit is made of light energy, and light energy comes from fire. Fire is light energy. You can live, your spirit can live in the fire. Does that make sense? Hope I haven't lost anybody because of that. But suffice it to say, once you get to heaven, you'll be back home again. Because earth is not your home. Anyway, back to Luke from So he found himself in this beautiful, beautiful environment. He was in heaven. And he saw all of a sudden a light in the distance coming towards him. And he saw these floating, colorful light orbs flittering around like butterflies. But one big orb of light started coming towards him. At first, it was the size of like a billiard ball, and then a basketball, and then a beach ball, huge. And it stopped right in front of him and materialized into this beautiful being of light, about twice the size of an ordinary man. And he realized he was in the presence of God, the Creator, whether not the Creator of the universe, excuse me, the Father God. Oh, don't forget there's a Mother God, too, because Father God can't make children unless he has a mother god. Does that make sense? We live in a universe of male and female. Don't, never mind what those people said back there because they were a male-dominating society. You didn't really care about the truth, right? And don't you know that Father God also wants a woman by his side? What male doesn't want a woman by his side? Unless maybe you're a homosexual, gay kind of individual who has the spirit of an opposite gender inside your body, which is cool. You know, I love homosexual, transgender people because I know that they have a very difficult mission here on life. They're born into this world the way they are. Some of them, most of them are. Not everybody has a spirit of the opposite gender inside them. But most gay, homosexual people do, and transgenders also. And I love them. You know, I respect them. They can do what they want to do behind their own closed doors. I don't care. And so he found himself, Lufamoso, in front of this being of light, this beautiful being of light. And he said it looked like his energy was kind of like of a nuclear charge, you know? It was that powerful. And the outline of the Father God was like as if you it with a fine quill pen all the way around and just a being of light. And he spoke to him. And among the other things he said, he said this. For all you prayer warriors, I'm getting back to my prayer warrior point. That man will pray on man until man learns to pray for man. I'm talking about P-R-E-Y versus P-R-A-Y. Man will pray, P-R-E-Y, on man 
until man learns to pray, P-R-A-Y for man. Please don't forget that. Don't forget it. Don't let that get out of your mind. Remember that. Please, please, please. I didn't make that up. That's real. It came from the Father God. Why? Because prayer will save the world. I'm telling you, it will. You or a group of people, you know what this Bible says, if you get a group of so many people together and they're praying together, it has enough power to stop a war, to do anything. It has incredible power. You better believe that your prayers go up to heaven where they're being recorded. That's the truth. Another thing that God showed him was that we are all one. In his mind, he showed him that as an example, this huge plate of crystal, like maybe five feet across, and it broke into all these pieces, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of small little pieces. And the point was that we are all like that. We are parts of the whole. So be a prayer warrior, please. You should be able to pray anytime, in the car, walking down the street, any time of the day. And know who you're praying to also. You can be praying to the supreme creator of the universe. If you want to know who the supreme creator of the universe is, I recommend you look at a video called, I forget exactly what it's called. There's a a company called Coming Home that makes these videos of near-death experiences. But if you Google, if you put in YouTube the words creator of the universe, NDE for near-death experience, or Donna Rebado, R-E-B-A-D-O-W, she had a near-death experience, she drowned. She actually drowned. It was a designer death. I mean, this was an amazing near-death experience where she drowned and was brought back to life. I mean, actually, the very process of her being drowned was designed by the creator of the universe so that she can come back and explain that, hey, you know, religion as we know it is good. It's a stepping stone to where you need to get in your spiritual development, but it doesn't have all the truth contained in each and all these different religions. That makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, the Christian religion is fine. When the Muslim religions also good, and so are the Hindus. And you can't say yours is better than theirs because we don't know. We don't have the proof, the real proof. It's all about faith, you know. And you can't say that your faith is stronger than a Hindus or a Buddhist. You know, people have gone to war fighting over religion before in the past. And that is no way to resolve that kind of thing. You've got to be open-minded and be able to talk about it and give and take, and seek, continue seeking the truth, you know. So Lou Famoso, he had quite a near-death experience. Remember that name, Famoso, F-A-M-O-S-O. Anyway, back to Beyond the Darkness by Angie Fenimore. He came back to suicides out there, people who are suicidal. We need to tell them, just to summarize what I said before, that things aren't so bad here, no matter what they do. And they can always give up drinking alcohol or taking drugs. They can always stop. I stopped cold turkey drinking alcohol back in 1988. You could do the same if you want. I'm just saying, 
I don't want to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. And you have free will. But no, for me in my life, and I saw my parents go through it too, you know. They were in World War II, and they had PTSD. My mom went to the bombing of London. Don't you think that would give you PTSD? My dad was at Normandy and Dunkirk with the British Army. Don't you think that would give you PTSD coming on the shore, you know, up on the beach being shot at by bullets from German machine guns and bunkers up on the coast? Seeing your buddies getting blown away on your side, wouldn't that give you PTSD? Yeah, they had PTSD. My dad killed a German, at least one. It was one of these um, standoffs, you know. He came around the corner. They were in this uh, town as they were pushing inward through France. And this German came around the corner, and it was like they looked at each other. Dad drew his pistol first and shot him before he was able to pull his own gun, you know. Let me tell you something. Don't forget this, please, okay? Remember this. I'm going to take a drink of water. If you kill somebody in war or through any other way, their spirit or their ghost will haunt you for the rest of your life. And that is the truth. Amen. That's just the way it is. That's the truth. My dad used to wake up in the middle of the night swinging. He would drink himself into a stupor so much that he'd pee in his bed. It happened over and over again. Hard liquor. And he was a great man. Beautiful soul, you know. He smoked cigarettes, two or three packs a day. He lived to be 81. All I can say is, thank you, God. My mother, too, 81. Dad died on July 28, 1999. Mom, 10 days later, August the 7th. 10 days later. And they drank. My mom drank until the day she died. She had her bottle of sherry. She wouldn't give that up. She used to smoke, too. Dad, he gave up drinking alcohol like five years before he died, which was great. My mom loved that because he had stressed her out so much during their lives with his drinking. And he used to sneak drinks, you know. They have a bottle hidden there, a bottle hidden over there. And when she would go out with him, you know, he would he would over do it and he'd always get drunk he was a fine man he tried to be an entrepreneur he would have been a millionaire i'm telling you he was so creative only that you get these people who were interested in investing in all these ideas of his like a riverboat on the saint john river when we lived in new brunswick canada hovercraft a two-seater hovercraft you know 1967 i drove one myself it had these two big engines on the side you get inside and you have these little levers uh, for the, the throttle for each engine and also one for the engine underneath, which lifts up the hovercraft and you had a skirt. And, oh, me, I was like about 13 years old, 13 years old at the time. And uh, so I, I got it going and I made a mistake by, I pulled back on the, the throttle for the lift engine before it stopped. So it kept going forward and it ripped the skirt off the bottom. Anyway, my dad was trying to sell those, and then also he um, was in a flying club, and they got some helicopters. They went to Newfoundland to hunt seals for their furs, and then he started building electric cars in San Diego in the 70s, and they had built like three or four cars. They had a Volkswagen Safari, a Pinto station wagon, a Volkswagen bus, a Volkswagen Rabbit. They put 
an electric motor in there, a controller, batteries, you know, and that rabbit was pretty cool. I used to drive it around. It would go like about 50 miles an hour. But back then, of course, the charge wouldn't last and you could only go so many miles. The range, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to take a drink. The range was not much. And that's still the case with a lot of electric vehicles, although they're so much better now, you know, especially with all the big car companies. They couldn't, my dad couldn't compete with uh, General Motors and Ford back then, and they were kind of pushed away, you know, and they saw the future in them, but the time wasn't right, you know. Also, my dad went to Honduras to look for gold and flew down, bought an airplane here in San Antonio, and uh, he got... Uh, he was involved in a court case where they bought this Bell 47 G2 helicopter. It's like the one with the bubble, and then they had the long tail, would look like a grid, grid, steel grid pattern, you know, tail. And I went for a ride with my mother. They landed behind our backyard in Nashville, Sister Brunswick, Canada, in the wintertime. I can still remember in my mind's eye. It was a field of snow, and this helicopter landed to give my mom and I a ride. And the pilot was a man named Rennie Lubert, who lived just down the road from us. He could fly. Um, he wound up flying 747s later on as a commercial pilot. But this was right after they bought the uh, helicopter. They had also another kind of helicopter called a Brantley, which was a French-made helicopter. And they had uh, three airplanes. They had a old World War One biplane. They had a 1950s uh, Army reconnaissance plane called an Aronka. And they had like a 60s uh, Piper Cub. Piper, was it Piper Colt or Piper Cub? I forget. Anyway, that was brand new. And it was a really cool plane. But uh, the helicopter landed in the um, backyard, behind our backyard. It was must have been a January or February day. And my mom and I went back there. We got inside. And it was just a three-seat bench seat in the front of the helicopter. And he took off. And we went down, 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 hill. And you know why the helicopters take off? I mean, you're looking down, you feel like you're falling out of the bubble, you know, but you're strapped in. And um, so he took us down the St. John River, which was just down the road. The beautiful St. John River, so blue in the summertime, beautiful river. And he turned around, came back, brought us back, called together maybe about a 15, 20-minute flight, you know, on the helicopter. Well, shortly after that, the helicopter crashed. And what they found out what happened was that the people they bought the helicopter from knowingly put a defective part in the rotor. So the rotor stopped working and the helicopter started spinning, went all the way down to the ground, spinning, kind of uh, auto-rotating, and it hit the ground. Now, the pilot, Rene, wasn't seriously hurt, shaken up. The bubble cracked, but they took him to court because they found out that they had known he put a defective part in the tail rotor. But that was just a few days after my mother and I were taken for that ride. And so it could have happened to us. And we might have, going down the river, we might have been, if we'd gone inside the St. John River in the wintertime, you know, and um, there was ice everywhere, right, in the wintertime, we wouldn't have survived that. So anyway... They took him to court, they sued, and they won like uh, $150,000. Since my father was the president of the flying club, uh, it might have been more than that. 
but he, my father wound up with 150,000. Yeah. A windfall, you know, that kept us going for a while. And so I was talking about my parents having PTSD. The last five years, dad gave up drinking. I guess the point was that um, whenever my dad would try to do one of these entrepreneurial things that the people that wanted to invest in his ideas would see him when he got really drunk, you know, and he would be, he would be talking nonsensical stuff and he would lose his temper and be swearing and drinking, keep on drinking and smoking cigarettes and he would just make a fool of himself. And so they would just say, you know what, Peter, you're a good man. We love you, but you've got a problem. You know, you drink too much. Sorry, but I'm not going to spend my money on you because you're not a safe bet, you know. And that's what happened. One time after another, after another, after another. And, but finally, Dad gave up drinking. He did have a, an episode back in 1993 where he um, went into a coma because of his drinking. And I remember talking to my mom, and we were praying for him. There we go. You see, prayer can bring people out of situations like that. Prayer can help people to stop committing suicide, too. And even after they've committed suicide, out of there by saying a prayer for them. Remember that, okay, please? Remember that. If you forgot anything else that I said, remember, if you have the courage, if you dare, if you're strong spiritually enough to not worry about what other people think and know that God supports what you do, you can release somebody from purgatory by a prayer. I tell you the truth. That is true. That's how they're going to, long they're going to stay in there until someone prays for them or says some kind of good thoughts, you know, God-related thoughts in regard to them. I've said it many times myself. I am a prayer warrior. My eyes are flash like fire. No one's going to stop me from doing God's will here on earth, you know. You hear what I'm saying? And you can be the same, too. A mighty prayer warrior. You can pray, like I mentioned, walking down the street in the car. I always say prayer before you get in my car, go down the road, because I'm smart enough to realize that I might not make it back. Sometimes things go beyond our control, you know. Sometimes maybe we're not fast enough. Things happen instantaneously. A car loses control in front of you. Maybe a tire blows out. You swerve. Get another car, tumble end over end, side over, you know, tumble on, on the side a few times and, and hit a telephone pole and boom, you're gone. You pop out of your body. That's, a, that's the end of your mortal body. Happens all the time, my friend. Didn't mean to burst your bubble, you know, because you should know we're not invincible. It's all good, though. You know, we need people like me talking about that kind of thing because how else are we going to learn, you know? Some people just don't have the courage to talk about things like that. So I do have the courage because I've been through a lot. I've had my parents. They, they gave me courage. They inspired me. They gave me hope, you know. So my dad, the last five years of his life, he gave up drinking. And mom was so happy because she didn't have to worry about him getting drunk anymore and have to yell at him. And he'd be swearing, greedy this and greedy that. And he'd look at me and like, Blake when I was young, you know, and you'd come home drunk. Blake, 
I love you. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. You are three days and three the wise, blah, 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 blah. And then mom would come in and start yelling, you sodden, sodden, drunken bum. How dare you? Oh, be quiet, woman. It was never violent. Dang, one minute. All right, my friends, that's it for me. I hope you learned a little bit about me. I didn't talk about the usual stuff, but here's a prayer. Remember, be a mighty prayer warrior. You need courage to do that, and you can do it. Creator of the universe, you are awesome. We love you. Please help us here on Earth. Help us to evolve, to develop spiritually. Thank you for everything. You are awesome. Awesome. Amen. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you next week.